As well-known pastor and author Tommy Nelson slipped into clinical depression, things got difficult for Tommy and for his wife, Teresa. One Sunday evening, I went to prayer and I left him at home and he got the guy to take him to a doctor's office to get medication. And I felt like he was going around me and he was taking stuff that this doctor didn't know he's talking to this doctor. And I was beginning to be very irritated with him, to be honest. What do you do when loving the one you love gets hard? We're going to talk about that today on Family Life This Week. Welcome to Family Life This Week. I'm Michelle Hill. When I say the words money pit, what comes to mind for you? Was it your first house or maybe it's your current house? The one you thought would just be the perfect fit for you and your family. But the more work that you did, the more you found you had to do. There was that crack in the foundation. And then the termites that ate out the entire east wall. And it was only God who was keeping that house standing. So you got those two projects done. And then you found the leak in the attic. Renovating a house is an ongoing project. And it can take a lot of time. And you've heard the saying before, if something is hard to do, it's worth it in the end. Like a house renovation or restoring that 1969 Dodge Charger or relationships. We're going to talk about difficult relationships or hard to love people. Is there someone that's hard to love in your life? You know, it takes patience and forbearance, perseverance. It takes humility, whether it's an angry child or a spouse that's antagonistic toward your newfound faith, or maybe it's a family member who's walking through a difficult season of depression or sickness. Let's talk about that angry child. That's hard on the whole family. There's the slamming of doors and the fists through the wall, or maybe they're just being argumentative and have spiteful attitudes. Your compliant child has morphed into somebody that you don't recognize. It's hard not only to know what to do, but also to hold on to your sanity. Lou Priolo is the founder of Competent to Counsel International, and he's written several books, including The Heart of Anger. In a Family Life Today interview with Dennis Rainey and Bob Lapine, Bob asked Lou about a 13-year-old who loses her temper, mouths off to her parents, and maybe is even starting to use profanity. Just what should the parent do? Here's Lou's answer. Well, I think the first thing you have to do is realize that most teenagers understand that they're angry, maybe not the degree to which they're angry, but they understand that they've got an issue with anger, even though, as I said, it might be somewhat minimized in their lives. But more importantly, most of them know that they are already suffering the consequences of their anger. And so what I'm trying to say is that in many of them, I dare say in most of them, there's a part of them that really wants to learn how to get it under control because they know that they're suffering consequences. Maybe it's just in the home right now, or maybe it started to bleed over into their other relationships. So I think the first thing to do is to try to help them understand that there is a problem with anger and that there are consequences for that anger. But don't you think that a teenager is thinking, well, I know what the problem is. I know why I'm angry. It's my mom. 
It's my dad. It's the unreasonable stuff. If I was living outside the house, if I was living at Sally's house. If, if I had freedom. Yeah, I wouldn't be angry. And that's why it's so important for parents to teach their teens and their younger children the difference between righteous anger and sinful anger. It could very well be that mom and dad are provoking them to anger by their sinful behavior, or it could very well be that their parents are not sinning, they are not doing anything wrong, and the reason they're angry is because there's something they want, and they want it so much that they're willing to sin because mom and dad kept them from having what they wanted. So you're saying the teenager may be inappropriately expressing what is legitimate or righteous anger because mom and dad are messing up as parents? I'm saying before the teenager decides what he's going to eat, how he's going to express his anger, he's got to make sure that it's the right kind of anger, not the wrong kind of anger. In other words, he's got to be sure that he's angry because someone has sinned against him, not because someone has not given him what he wants. I mean, that's really the difference between righteous anger and sinful anger. Sinful anger is the result of our not getting what we want. Righteous anger is the result of God not getting what he wants. In other words, when somebody sins and we become angry, then chances are that's the right kind of anger. But when we get angry simply because no one has sinned, but we're not getting what we want, then chances are that that is a sinful kind of anger. Yeah, anger in kids is hard. And if you're a parent of a child who's angry, um, that's tough stuff. But here's the thing. You have a chance to come alongside of them and to guide them and to teach them through this. And Lou suggests that if you or your child are dealing with anger, you might want to keep an anger journal. It'll help you keep track of the outbursts and also help you track just how maybe you can learn more biblically appropriate ways to respond. And we have a link for a downloadable printout at our website, familylifethisweek.com. We'll also have a link to the Lou Priolo shows, um, Teens and Anger, there too. And you know, for some kids, this anger thing can get out of control. And so please use discernment. If you need to call in the authorities to help control your child, if there is something illegal happening or if somebody is in um, danger, don't be afraid to get help. There's another complex relationship that's hard to navigate, and that is the spouse who doesn't share your faith. Bill and Vicki Rose were not Christians when they got married. They lived a party lifestyle in New York City, and they had money, and they had fame. They had it all, except they didn't know Christ. And not surprisingly, after about 10 years, their marriage blew up, and they were separated with the young kids living with Vicki while Bill continued to party and do drugs. And it was during their separation that someone reached out to Vicki, and through a series of dinner events and conversations, Vicki gave her life to the Lord. And Vicki invited Bill to these evangelistic dinner parties. And this was the time when Bill was spending hundreds of dollars a day on cocaine. And at first he resisted, but he loved baseball. And so one day he gave in and attended one of these dinner parties. Here's Bill. Well, I mean, the first one I say, she called me and said, there's a, uh, um, she thought she had heard that my baseball hero growing up was a guy named Bobby Richardson. Wasn't quite sure, but thought she, thought she had. And there was a uh, a baseball, well, it was a baseball chapel luncheon down at the uh, downtown athletic club, which is where the Heisman Trophy used to be uh, given, and wanted to know uh, 
said the guest speaker was Bobby Richardson and would I be interested in going. And uh, I thought, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. You know, I get to meet Bobby. And uh, so I went down there for the luncheon and, and uh, Bobby shared his faith and his testimony he was very eloquent. And someone introduced me to Bobby. And uh, he came back with me to the restaurant, the sporting club that I owned, and spent a, a good two hours with me and prayed for me in my office. Uh, I was not ready to do anything further than let him pray for me. Was he sharing his faith with you, his well, faith he, in Christ? Yeah, he did, and he also shared it at, at the luncheon. But we just talked about uh, the Yankees and our past uh, second base history. <laughs> and uh, he wore number one. I wore number one. Uh, and uh, He went a little farther than you did, right? He, he did. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> uh, and uh, So you just swapped baseball stories. He said, can I pray for you? You said, yeah, that's okay? Yeah. I mean, well, I wasn't going to say no. I mean, sure. that was my, you know, boyhood, boyhood hero. And he took off and you said, well, that was neat. I got to spend the afternoon with Bobby Richardson. He did, but he said he would stay in touch. And, and, and he did. So that's, uh, that, that was where... Uh, I, I started, and then I, what happened was I started to get really tired of feeling hopeless. That is this all there is. And on Sunday mornings, uh, and Sundays were, were my biggest day at, at the sporting club because it was, it was football, and, and we showed every single game live simultaneously, the only place that was doing that at the time. And uh, I mean, I remember just being in tears on Sunday morning praying out to God, not really knowing who I was praying to, but I was praying out to God, crying out, this can't be all there is. Bill was at the bottom of the barrel, and that's where he met God. And God answered years of prayer from Vicki and from her children. And Bill surrendered his life to Christ. You know, I don't want to paint a Pollyanna picture of what all transpired in the Rose family because it took years for their marriage to be restored. But Vicki was faithful. It wasn't easy. It was hard. Bill was a very hard man. But Vicki remained faithful first to God and then also to her husband. And God restored a marriage that was completely in shambles. Now, a quick word of caution here. If you are in an abusive marriage, now that could be verbal, that could be physical, that could be emotional, get some help and put some space between you and your spouse because enabling sin is never love. And remember that help, it can be legal authorities as well as your church. Hey, we need to take a quick break, but we're going to be back in two minutes. We're going to discuss some more about hard to love people. Stay tuned. Have you ever heard the phrase, now that's a face only a parent could love? For family life blended, here's Ron Deal. Well, what if you're the step parent? and you can't love that face very easily. No, I'm not talking about their actual face, all right? I'm talking about a stepchild with a big attitude problem where they lie to you or they're 28 years old, lazy, and eating all your food. Hey, I'm just trying to be honest. Some kids are harder to love than others. So what do you do? First, pray about it. Pray about them and no, on second thought, pray for them and pray for God's strength to love them. 
Then find one interest that you share in common and build on it. It may not feel like much, but it's a start. For Family Life Blended, I'm Ron Deal. To find out more, visit FamilyLifeBlended.com. I can't move anything. Did the doctor express any hope? I'm pretty sure she's going to come off of the ventilator. And beyond that, hope is discouraged. Sometimes God leads us on very difficult paths. Is God still good whether someone walks again or not? On the Unfavorable Odds podcast, Kim Anthony talks with guests who have faced extraordinarily difficult circumstances. That was really the last meaningful conversation I'd ever had with my three-year-old child. How should we respond when the events of life leave us despairing? Lord, please let me go home to heaven to be with you now. I cannot do this. In the midst of our despair, there is still strength and hope found in Jesus. I heard that my worst nightmare had occurred, and it was so surprising to me what came out of my mouth. You can find the Unfavorable Odds podcast with Kim Anthony wherever you get your podcasts or go to familylife.com slash podcasts. Welcome back to Family Life This Week. I'm Michelle Hill. You're in it for the long haul, and the persistence can pay off, but that does not mean that it's going to be easy. We're talking about hard-to-love people on the broadcast this week. Take, for instance, loving someone through a health crisis. Now, we all think that those health crises, they happen to other people. They don't happen to us. So what happens when it is us and it's not over, like, within a week or two? That's what happened to Tommy and Teresa Nelson. Now, we all know Tommy. He's a well-known author and also pastor. And there is something that has marked his life when he was hit unexpectedly with depression, with clinical depression. He had basically worked himself into emotional exhaustion. So what happens when you have this needy, non-functional, housebound husband who starts leaning very hard, in fact, not just hard, but totally leaning on his wife. And that's when Teresa Nelson hit her crisis point. Here's Teresa. Well, it turned it upside down because I became the strong person. I became the safe person. I became the decision maker. Tommy totally depended upon me, almost to a stranglehold on me, where he he needed me right there beside him. And uh, by the time he was well, I mean, I really felt like, I don't know if I can go on. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a stranglehold on me. I mean, he like was the world's so biggest tick. Dep- <laughs> <laughs> Big, massive, 600-pound tick. <laughs> I don't mean Tommy, that. I mean Tommy he, does not weigh six hundred pounds. <laughs> lest people take that imagery here. No, but but it, I mean totally dependent upon me. Was it different than if he was convalescing after surgery for four months? Absolutely. Oh, I'd been a piece of cake. Uh, because mentally he was struggling, and I didn't feel like he could make. Dis- well, he couldn't make decisions. You know, I could barely drive. He couldn't drive. I drove him. And even then, that was difficult because he wanted to be in the house. Yeah, it was just uh, total dependence upon me. You're you're helping somebody who is, again, recovering from something physical. But you had somebody who had both a physical and an emotional thing going on. 
how do you keep that from being personal? You know what I mean? I mean, there had to be times when and his... And she did keep it from getting personal. When his attitude, when his anger, when his frustration, how did you keep from feeling like you just, mm-hmm. you just need to talk nicer to me? Mm-hmm. Well, to be honest, it was just getting kind of annoying because it was just so, you know, help me, help me, help me, do this for me. And uh, this was before they said clinical depression. Mm-hmm. And one Sunday evening... I was at prayer, and I went to prayer, and I left him at home, and he called the church and got the guy in charge of sound to take him to Louisville, which is about 20 miles from Denton, to a doctor's office to get medication. He, and he sleep. And I felt like he was going around me, because that's what I started feeling. I, I felt immediate anger. I really did. I felt it up to here, and I thought, Tommy's lost his mind, but I wasn't thinking clinical depression. I was just thinking he's self-centered. You're not the only person in the world that does <laughs> I went home, and I mean, it was like I, I really did. I, uh, To my shame, I blew <laughs> like just like You're that. You're not the only person that <laughs> And I said, I'm going to start calling you Katu, the center of the universe. I mean, I was really angry. Now, did you catch wrong. what she said? Center of the universe is C-O-T-U. Not Katu. center. <laughs> and so it's center, C-E-N-T-R, and that got to be the shortened version. Hey, Katu! I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, because I because I, I was feeling angry at him because I felt like he was going around me. He was being deceptive. Here's the question I want to ask you at this point. Tommy Nelson synonymous with teaching Song of Solomon conferences across the country about romance, caring for your spouse. How does the center of the universe (laughs) live out the Song of Solomon in the midst of depression? Let's break to a commercial right here. (laughs) 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 The truth must come out, my friend. Well, it... You know, he didn't stay the center of the universe. I mean, it was just he was trying to fix everything, and he was trying to make it right. And then he went into a true clinical depression. Would it be fair to say that from the middle of May, maybe even before that, until the middle of November, you had a romanceless marriage? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, oh, yeah. It was a well, I'd say dude. from the middle of May to at least October. And I know there are a lot of folks who are listening who are going, I know that sounds like a long time, but I've been at it for two years or three years or five mm-hmm. years in a romanceless marriage. Mm-hmm. But did it cause you to begin to go, I don't know that there's hope. I, w- w- this may be worse until he dies or I die. There were a couple of times I thought, um, hopeless, but not really. I mean, there was a couple of times I just thought, I hope it's not this way forever. forever. Yeah, because I mean, to touch him was painful to him. Mm-hmm. To to just rub his arm or anything like that was just painful. I couldn't wear a watch. I couldn't wear a wedding ring. It hurt. I mean, My he had real I'm true pain that they had to give him medication that they give uh, diabetics a lot of time for neuropathy. Uh, to help their arm and leg pain. But it was not odd. It was like 
this is not just my duty, but I love this man. This is your assignment. Yeah, but it's just, this is what has been dealt you right now. Oh, how hard. And you know, just like Vicki Rose, Teresa Nelson had the courage to faithfully love her husband during this very painful episode, very painful health episode. You know, God took Tommy and Teresa through some of the most intense suffering of their lives in order to refine them and to refine their ministry. And it's a great reminder that not only is love hard at times, but God uses those hard things to refine us and to make us into the people that He wants us to be. You know, one of the mistakes that Christians make is that we get irritable at the slow process. And I'm sure there were times Teresa was irritable, maybe even Vicki Rose, irritable at this slow process. Why wasn't God moving faster? And it got me to thinking of some verses that Lou Priello has put to memory to help him through the days of that slow process. There are two passages of Scripture that I committed to memory, and both of them, when I find myself becoming impatient or even angry, if I can recall them to mind, I don't do it 100% of the time, but when I can call these things to mind, it helps me tremendously. The first one is 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, argumentative, but kind to all patient when wronged, in gentleness, instructing those who are in opposition. And then two chapters over, 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word, or in the case of a husband and father, I say to myself, teach the word, because it's my responsibility to teach my wife to teach my kids God's word, right? Be ready, in season, out of season. Rebuke, exhort, convict. Now catch this. With great patience and careful instruction. And so, In both of these verses, you have this idea of patient instruction, patience and instruction, instruct with patience. And so a lot of times when I'm having a conflict with my wife or my girls, it's sort of like we're on the same level. Yan, 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 me versus her, me versus them. And when I can remember these verses, I don't know how we're going to illustrate this on the radio, (laughs) But it changes the paradigm. Instead of me being on the same level with them, I remember these verses and I tell myself, Lou, you are the shepherd. It goes this way. You are supposed to shepherd them. And somehow by bringing that to mind, it enables me to be more patient, more so just like I'm patient with my counselees. I'm the shepherd of the family. It's my job to train them. It's my job to help them. I must be patient with them because that's what shepherds do. And oh, by the way, they have to be patient and have been, generally speaking, patient with me. Well, and that's where I find I often am able to cultivate patience in the midst of conflict. It's by stopping and remembering Uh, How long suffering has God been with me? Romans chapter 2, do you despise the goodness of his forbearance and long suffering with you, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And, And so if I am grateful to God for his patience, his long suffering, if I have been a recipient of that grace in my own life, 
That helps me pour it out into the lives of others. I want to be as patient with others as I want God to be with me. And he has been exceedingly patient with me. And stop and think about 1 Corinthians 13. What's the first thing on the list? Love is patient. And what's the last thing on the list? Love endures all exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So at the beginning and the end, you know, you got this description of love, and it's flanked on both sides with the two words we're talking about, patience and endurance. And yeah. even forbearing. I mean, bearing with one another. Patience and endurance. You know, we live in a culture where everything is disposable, where people and things get thrown in the trash as soon as we're done with them. We don't tend to practice 1 Corinthians 13 very well and the skill of patience and endurance and forbearance. Maybe it's time we really take that to heart. It's about giving grace and it's about counting to seven instead of three when you get irritable. And it's about asking God to help us see things from his perspective. As we close the show, I want to share some sweet words with you from Tommy Nelson, who had struggled with clinical depression. Well, Tommy gave a tribute to his wife, Teresa. Here's what he had to say. Give me a finger. You got to touch my (laughs) finger right here. I would say, TJ, Teresa Jo, where sin increases, grace abounds. And the way we know of God's love is through struggle and pain. We find the depth of who he is. And that's what I found in you. That you said, till death do us part. And you said, for better, for worse, and richer, for poor. And uh, I had about a year of just the, the poorer and the worst. And my strength through all of it was you. You never moved. You never faltered. Uh, You never stopped loving me. You told me things that I didn't want to hear. You took me to the Word. You let me follow you around buying at Kroger's, just like your idiot (laughs) accomplice. And you never, you never faltered that you always love me. And I doubted my health, and I even doubted at times. I said, God, like David, you take no pleasure in me anymore. But one thing I never doubted was you. And so thank you for uh, sounding the depths of your love. And that now I have more love, more to praise you for, and uh, a greater sermon for a greater day. Thank you, baby. Hey, thanks for listening. I want to thank the co-founder of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and our president, David Robbins, along with our station partners around the country. And a big thank you to our engineer today who forbears much with me, Keith Lynch. Thanks to our patient producers, Marcus Holt and Bruce Goff. They keep me humble. Justin Adams is our merciful mastering engineer, and Megan Martin is our gracious production coordinator. Our program is a production of Family Life Today, and our mission is to effectively develop godly families who change the world one home at a time. I'm Michelle Hill, inviting you to join us again next time for another edition of Family Life This Week.